What's up, everybody? Another edition of NFL Friday Wild Card Weekend Recap Edition. Look ahead to the divisional round as well. Glad you could join us. Jackson Heil, Chris Baccia here with you. The uh, the gruesome twosome getting back together to dissect everything in the NFL. Chris, how you doing, buddy? Gruesome twosome. I'm I'm good. Um, I'm hanging in. Uh, this is the time of year where I get to think about good teams and watch good football and not the Jets. So that's probably good for our for our cause here. I gotta say, it was like it. You look ahead to the divisional round, and we were just talking about this before we got on the air. But like three quarterbacks from the Sam Darnold draft class are all in the AFC divisional round, and, and that should be something that's depressing in itself. But um, to be honest, I enjoyed a lot of good football last weekend, and it's rare to say that as a Jets fan, being able to enjoy watching the NFL. But um, here we are. It was the wild card weekend on steroids, six games between Saturday and Sunday. It was it was football all day, both days. And I think that was the biggest thing for me. Like usually like during that time slot where it's like you have the first game of the day ending, you're just sitting on your couch like waiting for like, hey, what do I do until the nightcap happens? And to be honest, it was pretty great to just be like, oh, I just get to change the channel now and get to watch another football game going into the nightcap before we get to that. But again, six games, all pretty intriguing storylines in every single one. I mean, Bill's topping the Colts to start off the Saturday slate and then Rams over the Seahawks on the road, Bucks topping the NFC's champion Washington football team. And then Sunday we had some really interesting games, Ravens over the Titans, 2013 Saints, obviously taking care of business at home against the bears, which if you're a gambler, that was quite an interesting ending, to say the least. If you had Bears right. uh, plus 11.5, plus 10.5, either way, it was an interesting ending to that. And then the Sunday night game is one that we're going to talk about a lot. Um, Cleveland over Pittsburgh, 48-37. It was 28 nothing after the first quarter um, in favor of Cleveland. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger in what may be his last game in the NFL, throwing the ball 68 times. 501 yards. He had four picks, four touchdowns. It was all over the place. But um, Chris, I, I want to start with probably the not the most interesting game of the week per se, but perhaps one of the most interesting results of the week to me, and that was in Seattle. Um, the LA Rams going to Seattle, topping the Seahawks. I mean, they started the game with Walford at quarterback, and because Jared Goff again still getting over that broken thumb, and John Walford it. it he wasn't in the game one. I mean, he takes that hit from Jamal Adams. He eventually gets sent to the hospital out of precaution. Um, but Jared Goff comes into the game. Wasn't all that spectacular, to be quite honest with you. I mean, 9 of 19, 155 yards and a touchdown. But to me, Chris, we talked about this division a lot when we've been on this podcast together. And to me, I remember about eight weeks ago saying, I don't have a clue who the best team in this division was um, because – you had the Cardinals who were hanging in there for a while, and they obviously kind of plummeted out of the playoff race pretty quickly at the end. But you had a Rams team that was all over the place in the regular season, a team that ended up losing to Adam Gase's New York Jets and obviously costed our hopes and dreams to Trevor Lawrence. But And then a Seattle team that ends up winning the NF, NFC West at 12-4. and four. But, again, they, they were a no-show on Saturday. And, and that was the biggest thing to me is that you have a quarterback in Russell Wilson who's supposed to be your savior and supposed to be the guy that was, hey, I mean, you look six weeks in the season, I think he's probably your leading candidate for the MVP race. And 11 to 27, 174 yards, two touchdown interception. It's not terrible per se, but if you want, if you want Russell Wilson to be MVP type quarterback, you got to have a better performance at home in the playoffs and give McVay and the Rams a lot of credit and Griff Foley, their defensive coordinator, a lot of credit. They game, they game plan Seattle very well, but um, t- to me, this was an embarrassing performance by Seattle because personally, I don't buy the Rams. I mean, yes, their defense is good, but I think Jared Goff is one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And I, I think John Walford, t- to lose a game like that at home to what you call a division rival, um, after you find a way to end- win the NFC West, it- it's embarrassing. And I-, I think there's a blame that goes a lot of places. But to me, it's- it starts with the quarterback at Russell Wilson. Yeah, no, I'm I'm completely with you. And besides New Orleans and Chicago, this should have been the lock of the week. I mean, Seattle has to win this game. I think Los Angeles 
comes into this game knowing that this division should have been theirs. They lose a, a, a terrible game to the Jets at the end um, and ultimately lose the division by two games, but it was wide open. Seattle was vulnerable, especially in the middle of the year, but then they, they started to figure it out toward the end, at least on defense. And I absolutely thought that Russell Wilson, who's established himself as a playoff quarterback, was going to show up in the wild card round. Um, but he just didn't. And this Seattle team just didn't. And it was a Los Angeles team that wanted it. They did it without a quarterback. I think they're going to have a hard time this weekend. But I have to tell you, Seattle makes me look terrible because I have I, I have said they're going to get it together at least, and, and they, they did in the division, but I said that they're going to get it together in the conference and they're going to find a way to be competitive, uh, potentially a Super Bowl team. And I was dead wrong. In fact, I picked them on one-on-one, which we pre-recorded before the game happened, which put me in a tough spot because I, I predicted Seattle to, to, to continue on because um, we did our playoff picks, but they hadn't played yet. And I said, I'm going to pick Seattle. They're going to beat Los Angeles. I, I was pretty confident in it. And I ended up being wrong. It ruined our show on Saturday. And uh, the, the one silver lining, Jackson, is that it's good for the Jets because they have the Seattle first round pick, which is now um, far higher than it would have been if they were, you know, deep into the playoffs here. So that is the one silver lining here. But Seattle, um, what a disappointing year for them, quite frankly. Yeah. And let's talk about the Jets connection for a second, because um, it's not something I, I want to talk a whole lot about, but. I think it's time to really address the elephant in the room here on the show. And that's the presence of Jamal Adams with the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, let's go back a year ago to, to the situation Adams found himself in. I mean, coming off a seven and nine season with the jets, um, he wants a contract extension. He doesn't get it. Um, and talks with Joe Douglas go awry. And listen, we don't really know what was said in that room um, between those two, but Regardless of what happened, something ticked Jamal Adams off, and maybe it's a long run of just playing, losing football in his first three years of his career, but Jamal Adams essentially demands a trade and says, I'm not going to play another game for the New York Jets. Um, and, he, and he gets his wish. And to, to me, the arrogance that Jamal Adams carried, it, it's something you really only love if you're rooting for him. And to be honest, as a Jet fan, I did love Jamal Adams when he was here. I mean, he was a guy who was supposed to bring a culture change. He was a guy that during his time here – this defense is pretty damn good, and largely because of his work as playing a box-to-box safety, a guy who during his time with the Jets was actually a good coverage safety, which has completely changed now in a matter of one year. But Jamal Adams talked a lot of crap, and he does this a lot. But um, there was a stat during the Seattle game um, where – of the first, like, 79 passing yards for the Rams, 78 of it came with Jamal Adams as the primary coverage back in that case. And it's no secret what has happened to Jamal Adams this year. And I, I think it's been pretty much exposed that he is a – he's almost a linebacker to me. I, I can't look at Jamal Adams realistically and say that this guy is a really good safety because, listen, he's a great football player. But w- with – when it comes with to a safety, especially in his shoes, he's going to have to be in coverage a lot. And this year, this Seattle team was one of the worst pass defenses we've seen in the history of the NFL. And a large portion of that was because their inability to cover tight ends and their ability inability to cover slot receivers was a big issue there. And a lot of that falls on the shoulders of Jamal Adams, who became one of the worst coverage safeties in the NFL. So my message to Jamal, Jamal Adams is this. If you're going to talk all this crap about begging to get out of New York and demanding that you get out of New York and demanding the respect of one of the best players in the NFL, you got to back that up, man. And and to me, the Rams picked on Jamal Adams offensively the entire game. And yes, they got the Rams got a defensive touchdown. And to, to me, that is important here. But the story of this game to me was Jamal Adams inability to talk the talk and, and walk the walk in that regard. And, um, I, I think he's got a lot of work to do if he wants to be viewed as an all-pro safety going forward because, yeah, this defense was better with him, but the reason Seattle lost this game to me was their ability to make big plays in big spots, and Jamal Adams was at the forefront of a lot of that. And it's the reason they're going home. It's the reason that the Seahawks and Jamal Adams won the same amount of playoff games as the New York Jets. So I, I think it's a storyline going forward. I think it's something that a lot of teams ought to be concerned about 
especially Seattle, if they want to extend him at any point, it's a major glare for Jamal Adams when he can't cover anyone. And to me, I, I think you really have to consider that if you're going to be a team that's paying him a year come now when he comes to free agency. I think it's a good take. I think uh, he did a really good job. I mean, in New York, he did a great job. It was easy to stand out on a defense that wasn't very good on a team that wasn't very good. And honestly did a good job selling himself and he advocated for himself. And I almost give him credit for finding a way to play on a competitive team uh, by virtue of just complaining as much as he did, but it's not a good look for him. Um, I think right now the jets are even happier that they were able to get two first round picks than they were when they made the deal. But I think the jets were thrilled to get two picks out of him. Uh, even more glad now I'm more glad about it. The jets will be drafting twice in the first round this year and next. So that's really good news. Um, I I agree that Jamal Adams uh, has to put up uh, or shut up. And I I know, I think he was playing hurt last week. So I give him a bit of a pass, but I think he had problems all year with Seattle, quite frankly. I mean, I remember us talking about this um, early in the season when the Seahawks defense was a mess. Where is Jamal Adams? I mean, forget about the rest of the personnel. How could the Seahawks defense be so bad when it's supposed to have the premier safety in the National Football League? You know, somebody who wants to establish himself as an all-pro all player year in and year out, somebody who will be in Canton one day. He's got a lot more to do if he wants that to be his legacy. And to be honest, like, you look at the Seattle secondary, and, like, you look at the names, and th- this should not be a secondary that is historically terrible. Like, you look at the numbers and the names of guys in the past, and you think, all right, this is probably a decent secondary. And then you look at what happened this year and it's arguably the worst performance in the history of the national football league when it comes to defending the pass. And ironically enough, the the Rams really made their money was on the ground in this game. I mean, Cam Akers was terrific, 131 yards on the ground. And listen, Jared Goff wasn't anything special through the air, but it seemed like every time the Rams made a big play, it was through the air And, and give Cam Akers a ton of credit because he was the one that really established the ability to play through play action and play in the pass game. But I mean, they rushed for 164 yards and they really gassed their front seven of Seattle as well. So, so to me, it was more of a group effort as to what happened, but I mean, Jared Goff made some big plays in this game, which you didn't think was really possible considering he's playing with a broken thumb. Like if you told me John Walford or the combination of him and Jared Goff was going to be able to tear apart the Seattle defense in addition to the fact of the run game, like all they had to do was stack the box. And you think, hey, if you make Jared Goff or Walford make plays, whoever was game planning this, then you're going to have a good chance to win this football game. And somehow Seattle doesn't. And ironically enough, Brian Schottenheimer is the one that gets fired in all this, the former Jets offensive coordinator during their run to the AFC championship game back in 09 and 2010. And he was a guy who was behind this Seattle offense. But um, to, to me, it wasn't an offensive problem. It was a defensive problem. And we talked about Russell Wilson not being able to show up, and that's a problem in itself. But when, when the Rams control possession for as much as they did, they didn't give Seattle really much of a chance on offense. And that's why they're going home. And I think there's a lot of questions that Seattle needs to answer going to this off offseason. But, um, Chris, we just talked about it. I, I think, to me, it starts with figuring out what the heck needs to be done with the Seattle secondary. And, and is Jamal Adams a future piece for the Seattle secondary? Because – I think you look at it right now and I'm not really sure there's a good answer. No. Yeah. And you would have thought the offense would have stepped up. It didn't. I mean, I think Los Angeles has a great defense. I think we head toward this week, not to jump the gun. They, I think will be made honest by green Bay. I mean, I may eat my words, but Mm -hmm. there is no way that green Bay after the bye doesn't find a way to, to prove that none of these NFC West teams at the end of the day, um, deserve to go deep in the playoffs. And that's the irony because at the beginning of the year, we thought this was the best division in football. It would have been, um, I would have certainly put my money that it would have been one of the three um, representing the NFC um, in the Super Bowl. But here we are. And Green Bay, clearly the biggest threat. I, I think Tampa Bay, a big threat. I think Green Bay, if I'm making a pick this week, well, I don't even know who's playing quarterback for the Rams. Is it Wolford or Goff? It, it's going to be Goff. Goff was officially named like literally – an hour ago that he's going to be starting. And either way, like he's playing with a broken thumb right now. And that's something that is a major concern for them. And, and he's you not have good a, to be no, it's not. And he, he, he's terrible in itself. And we've had that discussion numerous times on this podcast, but listen, Sean McVay, Sean McVay. And 
he now gets to go up against Matt LaFleur and this should be a really interesting matchup. And you got to hope that for the Rams sake, Aaron Donald is healthy. He obviously left this game against Seattle. He was a menace when he was in there, but um, his ribs appear to be a bit of an issue, but he's expected to play according to Sean McVay. So that should be a really interesting matchup because I, I could see that game going a number of different ways. And we'll get to that a little later on in the show, but um, I want to move on to Sunday because Saturday, listen, they had some interesting results. Credit to the Bills for holding on at home against the Colts, 27-24. They win their first playoff game in a number of years. Um, the Bucks top, uh, the Heine man, as I was calling him, uh, Heineke and the, the Washington football team. Football team put up a pretty good fight in this one. I mean, like I mentioned, Taylor Heineke, the kid from Old Dominion, 27 years old, was Really not much of a name in the NFL for a long time, but he comes out, throws for 306 yards, runs for 46 and a touchdown as well. He did have a pick in this game that was deflected, but um, the football team put up a pretty good fight against the Bucs. But nonetheless, Brady and company moving on. But Sunday's the day I want to focus on because there were two really interesting games to me. Um, other than the fact that the Saints and Bears were playing on Nickelodeon, which I thought was a disaster um, <laughs> in general. From whoever had that idea deserves to be fired from whatever they're doing. I'm sorry. That, that's a moronic idea. A lot I think of people that love ki- it. I, I don't buy it. I, I really don't buy it. I think they, I think they liked it because it was a joke, to, to be completely honest with They liked it because um, they don't. And credit, credit to the guys who worked on Yeah, they Credit to the guys it. who worked on that broadcast. But I mean, yeah, um, yeah but these are – right, it was um, Ian Eagle's son, right? I mean, yeah. look, uh, these are the, – the people who liked it, they're not – true football people if i could venture to say and i i think those of us who are uh uh, switch the channel to 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 get a serious broadcast if you're a kid like here's my point and i don't want to talk a lot about this but (laughs) if you're a kid that's watching football at this age you're watching cbs with jim with jim nance and tony Romo. let's just be honest there like you don't want to be turning in to a football game watching end zones getting slimed spongebob staring at you while uh, Lutz tries to kick a 37-yard field goal. Like you, you turn into you tune into football because you love football. And, and if if the idea here behind this was to gain fans, you're not gaining it from putting this game on Nickelodeon. And like I said, credit to the guys who did this broadcast because it's not an easy job having to do that in general. What they had to do, but um, the 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 big takeaway for me is that Mitch Trubisky was the MVP, and that tells you um, what type of joke that broadcast was in general being having to be able to broadcast on Nickelodeon and it it shows you what people thought of putting that game on Nickelodeon in general but anyways that's not the game we're talking about um I want to talk about the early one Ravens Titans first um because I thought this was a really interesting matchup obviously you had Lamar Jackson versus Derrick Henry two of the premier players at their position and I think the big takeaway for me from this one is that this Ravens defense is back um they hold Derrick Henry to 40 yards on the ground on 18 carries. But to me, this was a complete wholesale effort from this Ravens defense, not only to slow down the run game, but you had Marcus Peters looking terrific on the outside. Marlon Humphrey, I think is probably the most underrated cornerback in this entire league. This Ravens secondary is really, really good. And I think that's something that is going to be looked at going forward, because obviously you get the matchup with the bills next week in Buffalo how are they going to slow down Stephon Diggs? How are they going to slow down this Bills offense? But um, to me, this performance said that this Ravens team can win the Super Bowl because we know what they can do offensively. We know that they're going to ground, pound, and smash you in the face um, up front on offense because that's what they do, and, and that's what Greg Roman does. And Lamar Jackson going for 136 yards on the ground was big. They get a wholesale effort in the run game as well with J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards taking part in that. But – to me, this defense looks like a championship-caliber defense for Baltimore. And this performance really showed it because, listen, when it comes down to it, obviously it's great to have the quarterback. And, and no one's going to deny that the biggest threat in the AFC right now is Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. But to have the ability to take away the run game, like Baltimore has, with the secondary pieces that they have, which is arguably one of the best secondaries in the NFL right now with Humphrey, Peters, and the rest of the crew there, I learned this week that this Baltimore Ravens team is for real. And there was a stretch during the season where we thought that, hey, maybe this might not be true, but there were injuries. You had Lamar getting COVID and whatnot, and they went on that losing stretch. But, man, to me, the Ravens are back. And after this performance, it wouldn't surprise me for a second 
if this team is able to top Buffalo this week and then go on the road and win at Kansas City. Um, Because this is a team that's made to play playoff football and it's a team that's also made to play on the road in the postseason. That's not things that I take lightly going into the postseason. And I think that this Ravens team proved to me last week that they can beat anyone in the entire NFL and most importantly right now, the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, and obviously a Buffalo team that isn't doesn't have a ton of experience uh, in January football. This is a Baltimore team that, with eleven wins, to me is as dangerous or more dangerous than it was last year when they lost mm-hmm. uh, to Tennessee to go down early. Um, they've now been now Lamar has a year under his belt. He gets that monkey off his back with the first playoff victory. We know who Lamar Jackson is. We know what a threat he is. I think people fell asleep on the Baltimore Ravens this year. Cause yeah, they only won 11 games, still a good year and they figured it out late, but we knew that this game was going to be all about the running game. And if Baltimore could control the ground and find a way to shut down Derrick Henry, they were going to win this game. And that's exactly what they did. Now, now they got to face Josh Allen um, who also can, can, can hurt you on the ground. And I'm absolutely confident that the Baltimore defense has what it takes. I mean, what we saw last week just shows it. So I think everybody needs to be taking Baltimore seriously. I, I Like you said, it. I think everybody is now. To me, Baltimore-Buffalo is the game to watch this week because um, two young teams, two quarterbacks from that same draft class um, that's really killing us uh, as Jeff fans. But <laughs> look, I, I, think, uh, I think Baltimore can find a way this week. I mean, uh, I, won't, I won't tip my, my, my hand for my pick later, but I absolutely think – Baltimore can beat Buffalo. I'm with you. And I think that, like you said, it is the game of the week. And you look at the passing numbers for Lamar. And and listen, we're not here to really harp on Lamar Jackson, what he can do with his arm, because that's an argument for another day. But the, the fact that this Ravens team, I mean, they went down 10 nothing. Lamar, you look at the final numbers from, from a passing perspective, 180 yards and interception, 17 of 24. Like, it's nothing special, but... That, that just tells you what this Ravens team is about because they can beat you in so many different ways. And, and on offense, I mean, they run for 240 yards, which is massive in itself, and that's what they're going to do. My biggest question going forward, and again, I don't want to tip my hand like you had mentioned as well, is can Buffalo find a way to stop the run? And Sean McDermott, if there's a guy who's going to do it, you have to think that Sean McDermott would be the guy to find a way to stop this run. But I'm fascinated by this matchup because – the Bills love to play smash mouth football on defense because they love to show you that, hey, we can stop the run. And you look at some of the big games that they've played this year. I mean, at home against the Steelers, they took away the run game. You look at last week going up against Indianapolis. I mean, they did a pretty good job of taking away the run game. I mean, Jonathan Taylor had a decent performance, 21 carries, 78 yards, and a touchdown. But um, they really limited what Indianapolis was trying to do with the run game, and they forced Philip Rivers to throw the ball almost 50 times. So, it's it's a really interesting matchup to me on that end of the football because Buffalo, what their strength is, is taking away the run game. And you know that the Ravens aren't going to get themselves in a situation where they're going to have to throw the ball 40 times because that's just not who they are. It's going to be a war of attrition up front for both teams. There's not a doubt about it. And I think that's really where this game is going to come down to is who can control the run game on either side. And to, to me, I lean Ravens right now, but we, we've seen what this Bills defense can do, and that's what makes this such a fascinating game on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, if it's about the run game, which I agree with you it is, then absolutely leaning Baltimore because they were able to shut down Derrick Henry, um, who's a lot more than Baltimore than uh, Buffalo can offer in the backfield with Singletary. Now, it is going to be a defensive game, if I had to guess, whereas Chiefs-Browns is looking like could be a shootout. Um, and we're going to get a, a real offensive firework game. I'm a big defense guy, and I think we're going to be watching Baltimore and Buffalo to see which defense prevails. And of note, Buffalo with fans in the seats, um, thanks to uh, thanks to the governor, there there are people in the seats, a little bit of an advantage there for, for the Bills to have uh, 7,000 people in the stands. But um, that's the one that I'm watching, and, and it is the night game on Saturday, so I'm excited to tune in. Yeah, you mentioned it. it is a Saturday game, which I had wrong. 8-15, that'll be an NBC game. That'll be fun to watch for sure. And um, you mentioned also the Browns-Chiefs game, which will take place on Sunday. I do want to talk about the Browns momentarily. 
um, before we look ahead and look at this coaching stuff and look at the divisional round and our predictions there. But this game on Sunday night was a wacky one from the start. I mean, first play from scrimmage, you get a fumble from Ben Roethlisberger. Marquise Pouncey snaps it over his head. James Conner can't recover it. And just like that, the Browns are up 7 nothing right from the get-go. And, I mean, it was just turnover after t- turnover for Pittsburgh. And, honestly, like, if you told me this is what would happen in this game, you would think that the roles would be completely reversed with Cleveland being the ones that are making mistakes early. It's their first playoff game in ages. Um, You would think the roles would have been completely reversed here, but it wasn't. Um, This was a dominant performance from start to finish from Cleveland. And to be honest, it was a very fitting way for the Steelers to end their season because this might've been the worst ever 11-0 team in the history of the NFL and being Pittsburgh. I mean, They lose four out of their last five in the regular season, including losses to the Bengals and the Browns to finish out the season. And then you look at what happens in this game. I mean, we talked about it early on in the show. I mean, they they forced Roethlisberger to throw the ball a million times. They couldn't establish the run at all. And and that's not what the Steelers do. They love to play in the short to intermediate passing game. They like to get James Conner going on the ground. And once Cleveland goes up early in this game, it was almost over because the Steelers are a really difficult team to have to play from behind because they don't like to throw the ball deep that much. And Mike Tomlin and company were forced into a completely different game plan. But but if I saw anything from this game and and it shames me to say this because I do like Ben Roethlisberger and I've liked his career and listen, they're off the field issues for sure. But just from a football standpoint, he's been a joy to watch because he's a guy that is tough as nails. He stays, he stays in the pocket to make some big time throws. And obviously that changed a little bit this year, but, if I learned anything from this game is that I think big Ben's done. Um, and it's sad to see him be a guy that's really going to probably have to retire within the next few years. And we'll see what ends up happening this off season with him. But um, he's going to probably be one of the first of this generation to fall in terms of retiring amongst these quarterbacks. And listen, Peyton Manning is done. Tom Brady's still out there and going Aaron Rodgers is too. But um, if, if I learned anything from this game, I, To me, it's that I I think Ben Roethlisberger's career, or at least his time in Pittsburgh, is finished. And I I think it is time to go in a new direction with Pittsburgh because this defense was good enough to win a Super Bowl. And they were put in a terrible situation this game with the four turnovers from Big Ben, five if you include the fumble. But I think Ben Roethlisberger has done it. Chris, I'm not sure what you think, but that's the direction I lean in after watching this performance last Sunday. I think that's the storyline here. I definitely lean that way, too. But that's the recency bias, right? Because it's what we just saw. Um, and look, the the Steelers were never a true eleven and zero. And I picked the Browns and and was a bit vindicated here. But you know, Tom Brady's still going. Drew Brees still going. Um, the Patriots made the mistake of cutting Tom Brady loose, thinking that they were preemptively getting rid of him before the decline. And and I, I know a lot of people will will take the position that it wasn't, you know, Belichick's move. It wasn't New England's move. It was more Brady's move. And and we'll never know the answer to that. But I think the Steelers may do the same thing. And I think they would be wise to, would be my guess. But also wouldn't be surprised if Big Ben has more in the tank. Because this, this guy, there is nobody like him. I mean, there is nobody who... Uh, can extend a play longer than than Big Ben, escape the pocket, stay in the pocket, you name it, just keep a broken play alive. Um, so maybe there's something left in the tank. But if I'm Mike Tomlin, who's one of the best coaches in the game, I am uh, – honestly, I'm calling the New York Jets and asking about Sam Donald. I'm definitely calling the Houston Texans and asking about Deshaun Watson because I think they do need to go in a new direction at quarterback because they, they obviously have – the infrastructure of a great football team um, and, and they can turn over to a, a new leaf very quickly because they have a culture, they have a defense, they have a running game. They have some options uh, for whoever a new quarterback would be, but I, I'm also with you that this is the beginning of the end, at least of, mm-hmm. of Ben Roethlisberger. And give the Browns credit because they forced Pittsburgh into a lot of mistakes and they capitalized, especially early on in this game. I mean, 28 nothing after one is a nearly impossible deficit, deficit to really overcome. And um, I, I think Cleveland deserves a lot of credit because a lot of talk has been on Pittsburgh and has been on a lot of the excuses that have been made for them. I mean, Chase Claypool saying that they're going to get blown out by KC and 
who knows if he's right or wrong in that regard, but just keep your mouth shut at that point. You've got your doors blown off by a Cleveland Browns team that hasn't won a playoff game in nearly three decades, it feels like. And um, I, I think the Browns deserve a lot of credit because they were able to establish the run game. Baker Mayfield, I thought, had a really strong game. And there were spots middle of that third quarter where things got a little dicey. Um, but again, a- after the Steelers didn't go for it on fourth and one from their own 40, and then the Browns come down and score. That was a game right there. Um, that was the chance for the Steelers to really get back in it. But um, I, I think the Browns deserve a lot of credit because they're a team that's faced a lot of adversity this year. I mean, they ended up losing to the Jets without half their receiving core. I mean, I, I think the underappreciated storyline of this game to me, Chris, is that Kevin Stefanski was at home. I mean, he's yeah. in his basement watching this game. The Browns are playing without a head coach, and they find a way to beat their division rivals, the division champions, let alone – on the road, in their building, when they haven't won a playoff game in many years. I think it's an underappreciated accomplishment by what the Browns did this weekend. And they're getting their head coach back, going to Kansas City. That's about as good of a dream season as you could ask for if you're a Cleveland Browns fan because it's been a long time since they had anything like this. Yeah, and you you got to root for them. Uh, to me, it, it, it offers a little bit of hope as a team that is absolutely in the cellar right now with the Jets. I mean, <laughs> I compare the two all the time because – when the Jets were bad years ago, we'd say, well, at least they're not the Browns. And now, obviously, we are the Browns. We're the new Browns. Um, so a little bit of hope there. Seems like they finally have a head coach, and then he's not there for game one. Um, but I, I, I have a lot of – I think there are a lot of question marks about Baker. Um, I, I, I think as far as that draft class, if I have to rank it, I'm, I'm putting Allen and I'm putting Lamar above him at this point. This is a Browns team that also relies on the running game, um, that also relies on Nick Chubb and, and uh, you know, so so we're going to see. Um, but offensively, they need to be a juggernaut against this Chiefs team. I don't know if they have, you know, even if they get out to a quick lead, if there's somebody who can cover a quick lead, it's Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I think what's interesting about this Chiefs-Browns game, and it's – it's maybe a little the opposite thinking that I have from you here is I don't think that the Browns can win this game in a shootout. Um, I, I think this has to be a game where the Browns go back to their bread and butter because obviously the Steelers game was different where they, they got that huge lead early because of a lot of Pittsburgh mistakes. This is a Kansas city team that with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, they're not going to make those type of mistakes. Um, this is a team that's too good and too talented and, and too much veteran experience to me, even though Mahomes is only in really his third year, where I don't think that this is a team that's going to be able to even be prepared to make those type of mistakes at this point. I think this is a game for Cleveland where they have to get back to their bread and butter and dominate the ground game and keep possession of the football. I mean, the biggest way to beat Kansas City is keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. And I think this is ironically enough, a difficult matchup for the Chiefs because I think that the only way that the Chiefs lose a football game going forward is if they get dominated on the ground and there's not a team left other than Baltimore um, that can really do that through the ground game like the Browns can. I mean, the ability to have Nick Chubb, I mean, he's a guy who can handle 30 carries a game and run effectively. Kareem Hunt is probably the best RB2 in football right now. I think this is a very interesting matchup that people aren't going to talk about enough is this Browns running game, I think can expose the chiefs on defense. And I'm not saying it's going to happen because I I think offensively without Denzel Ward for Cleveland, this is going to be too much trouble for this Brown secondary to contain Patrick Mahomes in this offense. But I think this is, this could be really interesting if the Browns get an early lead in this game and get a stop early where they can control the run game and beat the Chiefs. And I think it's the only way that teams can beat Kansas City going forward in the postseason. Yeah, this 10-point spread is a little large for me. I mean, I think the the Browns will keep it close. Um, I think they'll be in this game largely because of the running game with Hunt and Chubb. Now, does that mean that the Chiefs don't have it on offense? I mean, I don't think so. I I think the Chiefs Mm -hmm. come out slugging. um, And I do think it's a shootout. And I think I agree with you. If it's a shootout, I'm taking the Chiefs, and and that's why I am. I mean, this is a Chiefs team that, or at least Andy Reid, after the bye, is absolutely unbeatable. I think he's 23-2 and after the bye in his career. Um, So this is a guy who's just not going to lose. 
I think if somebody does give them a hard time, I agree with you. It would be Baltimore. It could be Buffalo. But mm-hmm. I don't think it's the Browns. I think this is probably the end of the line for them. And, and there, there's too much chatter around this. I mean, there's too much chatter from from Pittsburgh, and now Odell is chiming in. I think these guys got to keep a tighter lid. I mean, just just go and do your job. Go play football. I'm with you. Um, and it'll be an interesting matchup this Sunday as well, and we'll get to it um, in a little bit. But before we get to our division round predictions, I, I, we need to talk about the head coaching carousel that's happening in New York. And it seems like the Jets have interviewed literally anyone and everyone for this job. I mean, we've seen the likes of – Joe Brady, um, Marvin Lewis even got an interview, which is ridiculous to me. But again, um, Joe Douglas doing the rounds. Um, Brandon Staley, the defensive coordinator for the Rams. Arthur Smith, OC in Tennessee. Um, there's been a ton of names, but the name that has been brought back for a second interview, um, the only one that we know of so far is Robert Saleh, who is the defensive coordinator um, for the San Francisco 49ers. He is also getting a second round of interviews in a bunch of different places. Um, One of them being Philadelphia who have flown him out for an interview after his second round with the Jets. Um, So there's something interesting there. The Chargers are also interviewing him, but this seems to be like the Jets guy at the moment. And again, there's a lot more to be done, I think um, with this head coaching interview carousel. But to me, this is a really interesting hire, Chris, if the Jets opt to go in this direction. And I'm not going to say that they are because Sale has other options. The Jets have other options, but the odds on favor right now is Robert Sale. And I think this is a really interesting hire because as a Jets fan coming into this process, I I wanted a guy who was going to be a young offensive mind who can help this team going forward and take this team in a direction um, that football is going. And to me, Eric Bieniemy, Joe Brady, Arthur Smith, those were the guys that I really thought about for this position. But the, the more I look at this with Sayla, the, the more intrigued I am by him as a potential Jets head coach, because you look at what he did with limited personnel this year with the 49ers. I mean, so many stars hurt on that defense. You lose to Forrest Buckner to the Colts. Richard Sherman barely plays this season. Uh, D Ford as well. I mean, so many of the stars on this defense, including Bosa who missed almost the entire season after he got hurt in the Jets game. Um, he was missing so many pieces on this Niners defense and still they're one of the best defenses in the league this year. Um, and you obviously look at what they were when they went to the Super Bowl. they were a quarter away from shutting down Patrick Mahomes and bringing the Super Bowl back to San Francisco. I think Sayla is the right guy. If you can get a great offensive coordinator in there, but that's critical for the jets going forward because I think offensively the direction of this league is, finding a good quarterback, finding a good offensive coordinator, creative offenses are the teams that are really going to be winning Super Bowls going forward. But if Robert Sale is the guy, and I'm I'm not really sure if he should be or not, and whether he is is still up in the air completely. But if he is the guy, the number one priority for that shouldn't be getting a quarterback in this draft. It, it's finding a really good offensive coordinator to go with him because – I think you pair Salah with a young offensive mind going forward. This could be one of the best coaching tandems in the league, um, depending on what they hire. But, again, I think the hiring of Salah completely, my thought on it completely relies on who they hire as the offensive coordinator. Because if they bring in a vet, veteran offensive mind, um, someone who like like a Harbaugh, obviously he's not coming because he signed with Michigan, but um, – Someone like that, like that type of coach, I I think would be a big mistake for the Jets because I I think this team is in need of a fresh offensive mind um, for this organization going forward. And even as much as I like Salah and what he does on the defensive side of the ball and his influence on the future of this game defensively, I I don't know how much I can love this hire if the offensive coordinator isn't the right guy, Chris. Yeah, a couple things. I I, I think – uh, that so um, I think Sela may not be the guy because he's left the building and quite frankly he seems to be the hottest coach out there. Him and Bienemy mm-hmm. and he may have his pick. If he has the pick, I, I don't know if I take the Jets job. I mean, I just don't think it's the the, the most attractive job out there. Um, I'd rather I'd rather sign up with the Chargers and have a young Justin Herbert at quarterback. If he is the guy, I can absolutely get behind it. I mean. 
he was the guy that I circled. I mean, I, I've liked him for a long time. I mean, when they were a playoff team, right, two years ago, this guy is gritty. This guy is a leader. I know he's a defensive coach. I, I don't. Per, I personally have no problem with him being a defensive coach. What the Jets need is a leader. They need a coach, somebody who is not going to carve out his work on one side of the ball. And I do think that obviously he has a defensive background, but this is a guy who's going to unite the locker room and actually be a coach for the entire team, unlike Adam Gase, unlike Todd Bowles, um, who you know decided that their job was one side of the football. So you're right that the that they need to get the OC pick right, and and I agree with you that a young mind would be nice. I mean, they did have one. I mean, some of the guys that they've that they've had in that job, Chan Gailey was an old guy. I mean, they they haven't got the OC pick right. I don't think ever. So maybe if they get that right for the first time, that would that would go a long way. There is just so much power in the hands of Joe Douglas, um, and it, it, we 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 have no choice but to put our trust in him and hope that he does this right. Um, in past years when they've had openings, which has been frequent, they've gone to an outside consultant. They've gone to former GMs and and people who had helped them make the pick. And I was a fan of that because I, I don't trust the Johnsons to make the pick. Um, that's for sure. But th- in this case, they're not. It seems like Douglas is in the driver's seat of this. I mean, I don't think there's enough of a track record for us to know if Joe Douglas is a great executive, but certainly that's the hope. And we've put in, we put um, a lot in this guy's hands, and I hope he's I hope he gets it right. We know that he has a relationship with Doug Peterson, which is sort of the the interesting curveball here, um, and that could be a home run pick. I mean, I think I think Sela is a safe pick that you can't go wrong with. I think if it's Bienemy, it's also very hard to criticize getting Eric Bienemy, who has an excellent track record, and he he works with one of the best coaches in football, and Andy Reid, but. If you go get Doug Peterson, you're getting a Super Bowl winner. You're getting a guy who has, since that Super Bowl, the Philadelphia team has collapsed, and it was not a good end to his career in Philadelphia. I mean, there's such a sour taste that I don't even know if I want to touch him. But it is sort of a swing for the fences pick if you do it. I'm not going to say it's like a John Gruden type of pick to Oakland, but you're certainly getting a guy who's respected around the league, who has the head coaching experience. But then again, so did Adam Gase. The big reason the Jets liked him was he had the head coaching experience. I don't know about Doug Peterson, but if it's Doug Peterson, um, I'd be excited. I would be worried about him trying to wrestle away power from 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 uh, from Joe Douglas. So I, those two options very interesting. But if they get if they get Sela, consider me happy. I disagree with you on the Doug Peterson train personally, and. I- Listen, it really doesn't have a whole lot to do with what Doug Peterson is as a head coach. It's it's more that I think there's better options out there. Um, listen, would Doug Peterson be the worst hire? No, but even though he is a Super Bowl winner, I think there are a lot of red flags with Doug Peterson recently. Um, and I think a lot of the issues in Philadelphia over the last few years have been blamed on Carson Wentz. And to be honest, I think it's a little more than that. And I think a lot of it has yeah. to do with Peterson didn't necessarily have the locker room. The drafts in years past have not been good. And listen, you can blame that on Howie Roseman, but Peterson's a big part of those drafts also. And um, to to me, I'm not entirely sold on him as being the future head coach. And listen, I don't, I think you could do a lot worse. Marvin Lewis would be a guy who would be a lot worse of an option there, but um, with so many young, really good offensive minds out there um, guys, I mentioned, I mean, Joe Brady, I think would be a slam dunk hire for them. Um, Arthur Smith is a guy who, again, I'm not entirely sold on him as a head coach, given the weapons that he had in Tennessee. I mean, he's got one of the best wide receiving cores in AJ Brown and Corey Davis and Derrick Henry's Derrick Henry. But, um, I think Arthur Smith would be an intriguing option. We mentioned Eric Bieniemy, and listen, the Andy Reid coaching tree has gotten criticized heavily recently, which I think is really interesting considering you look at what's going to be going on this weekend and you have Andy Reid and three of his prodigies coaching, um, at the head coach position in the playoffs so far. So I think that's a very interesting criticism because it's one I don't agree with. I think the enemy would be a great hire, but um, my, my point on Salem more is this. You, you can get Salem as a head coach and it'd be the right decision. But um, I, I think most importantly, like I talked about is getting this team trending in the right direction offensively, because we've seen defensive head coaches be fine in the NFL, but we've also seen guys like Todd Bowles who, are great defensive minds, but don't get 
the right guys hired. And I, I think that's the thing that maybe is a little different about Saylor is he's a guy who's a leader of men and he's a leader of culture. And right. guys who are like that tend to get it right in terms of get hiring the right people in the right spots to make this team successful. And what makes Saylor interesting is that he's worked with Kyle Shanahan, who is a terrific offensive mind um, on that offensive side of the football. So I think he would bring a guy in who's similar to that. But again, it's all stuff that's up in the air. Quickly, before we go to our division fix, I want to get your opinion on this, Chris. Deshaun Watson obviously coming out this past week and saying he wants out of Houston, essentially. Um, He has backing on Twitter from Andre Johnson. He's backing on Twitter from DeAndre Hopkins. If you're a Jets fan, like we are, to me, it's give up anything and everything to get Deshaun Watson here. And I'm not sure if you agree with that, um, given that the Jets do have number two pick potentially Justin Fields, potentially Zach Wilson, um, potentially the offensive lineman from Oregon on the board. If I'm the Jets and I see Deshaun Watson, an all-pro quarterback by every stretch of the imagination, a long-term contract in full, he has the ACL surgeries, but again, those are out of the way right now. Deshaun Watson is everything you want in an NFL quarterback. For me, he's mobile. He could move the ball downfield. He just hasn't been in the right situation. And, And I think for the Jets, I don't know about you, Chris, but I would much rather go out and give up first round picks for the next three or four years on Deshaun Watson than have to go through another potential project in Zach Wilson or Justin Fields. I'm not saying those guys aren't going to be good football players, but Deshaun Watson feels like a head coach's dream. And to get that position figured out right from the get-go and knowing what you have there, I think is critical for a first year head coach. And listen, they might want to start new, but Chris, to me, I would give up everything you have to for Deshaun Watson. What do you think? Well, I mean, I know you're saying first-round picks for the next number of years. That feels a little bit rich for me. So, I mean, we we have to work out what that actually is. I mean, if, if it's up to me, look, I think Sam Darnold in himself is probably worth a second-round pick. And I think you include Darnold in this package. You see if he has success in Houston. If I'm Houston, I, I'll take a shot at somebody like Darnold, the former number three overall pick. And, you know, ideally, if the Jets can do it for Darnold and the late pick, the Seattle pick, and then add some some late round picks in, whatever it takes, maybe a player, then I'm thrilled. But for argument's sake, let's say Houston's going to demand the number two overall pick. I, I think that's more realistic. And I think it, it definitely makes it a tougher decision, right? And I'm not even of the opinion that the Jets need to need to go quarterback at number two. I mean, I'm, I'm more of the belief that they use that pick to trade back, pick up a lot of picks, maybe get a quarterback late in the first round because beyond Trevor Lawrence, I'm not sure if one of these quarterbacks is worth a number two overall pick for. Um, if that's what it is, then if it's the number two and it's Sam Darnold and it's take it or leave it, I am taking it because this is a franchise quarterback and you can't guarantee yourself that from any number of picks that you might pick up or the number two overall pick itself, it's just invaluable. And so I'm with you there. I don't know if I'm with you on give him the house, give him future first round picks, but if it's the number two overall pick this year and it's Sam Donald, I can't say no. I, listen, I don't think Houston would even consider that package personally. Um, ju- just from where they're at. I think it's to me, the requirement for Deshaun Watson. I mean, Houston has a lot of leverage here. Granted, although Watson wants out, he is on a long-term deal going forward. But I think, to be honest, I think Houston's starting point is Darnold number two and another first-round pick at the very minimum. Um, And they may want three first-round picks in addition to Darnold. And honestly, I think I'd still consider it. Like, I I think it's a deal I would do given that you solidify the quarterback position for foreseeably the next 10 years because Watson is locked up. The injury issues are behind him, in my opinion. If you have the quarterback situation figured out, then you can go out and say, hey, we have a million dollars, not a million dollars, you have millions of dollars in cap room to go out and figure out, hey, let's go figure out what positions we need. You can continue to fix the offensive line. You can continue to add at the wide receiver position. You can add around Deshaun Watson. I don't think it's going to happen personally. I I think that they will get better offers for Deshaun Watson, even though the Jets have a lot to offer Houston. But to be honest, if it's three first-round picks and Sam Darnold, I take that and run if I'm the New York Jets. And that includes a number two overall pick. Um, Because, listen, it only straps you really from a first-round perspective 
for this year and next year, if that's the case, and you get your franchise quarterback knowingly in that situation. So I, I think it's an interesting discussion to have because I think the perceived value on Watson is going to change from everyone's perspective. And me and you clearly differ on what we think Deshaun Watson would be worth to the right. New York Jets. And I, I think that is something that with what we've seen from Houston's history, obviously it's going to be a new coach. It's going to be a new front office there. But we've seen Houston make a lot of mistakes with trades in the past. And honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if they made one again, because I, if I'm the Texans, I don't trade Deshaun Watson under any circumstances. But Watson wants out, and clearly that's where we are with them. Yeah, I, I want to see the Jets do a little bit better on the package than what you're throwing out there um, mm-hmm. because that's just a lot. And I think about, look, look if if Joe Douglas is what we hope he is and, and he could actually land dynamic players with those picks and it's a lot to give up. But if the Jets pull a trigger on a deal for Deshaun Watson, don't get me wrong. I mean, um, new head coach coming in, true, bona fide franchise quarterback, someone who has got the growing pains behind him. Um, I don't think there's a Jet fan on the planet Earth who is complaining. I'd like to see them do better than what you're saying as far as what it would take, but you're probably right. I mean, there's going to be a big market for someone like Deshaun Watson. I mean, I'm sure Bill Belichick is going to be calling because uh, he needs a quarterback. So um, if it's if it's doable and the Jets can pull the trigger, I don't want to play devil's advocate here. I mean, you know, do it. Just do it. Get it done. Do what it takes. I, I, I'm with you there. Deshaun Watson – changes everything in New York. I'm with you there. And that'll be enough for our Jets talk right now, because obviously the focus of football right now is the postseason divisional round coming up four games, two on Saturday, two on Sunday. Let's get to our picks because I think this is a fascinating weekend of football, obviously for everyone ahead, but um, let's start with Saturday Rams and Packers at Lambeau 435 kickoff. Packers minus six and a half, Chris. I think this is a really interesting game, and I think a lot of it comes down to the health of Aaron Donald. But to me, this is Packers all the way, and I think they cover just because I don't think the Rams are going to be able to do anything on offense. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we got at this earlier. They are very weak on offense. I think Aaron Donald's in this game. It's a very different game. Um, but Goff inspires no confidence in me. Um, I think the That's Packers... Yeah, no, I mean, I think, uh, and I think the Packers are, I think they're the odds on favorite to go to the Super Bowl with Seattle out of the way. Who, obviously, I was dead wrong on Seattle, so, um, don't take my word for anything. But I do think Green Bay, uh, shows up for whatever reason. There are some doubters of this team. Um, people who say they haven't beaten good teams that, that didn't turn out to be totally true at the end of the day. So I think Green Bay, uh, I think this is the game that has the biggest blowout potential, and I do think that they cover the spread. I agree with you. The biggest thing to me in this matchup is will Jalen Ramsey be able to take away Devontae Adams? And, and to me, that's an impossible task, but it's one with this L.A. pass rush that they may able to be able to do. And to me, that really comes down to is Aaron Donald healthy? Um, if he's healthy and he's able to create matchup problems on that front line for the Packers, this game gets very interesting to me because I think it gives Jalen Ramsey a chance to take away Devontae Adams. With that said, I think the Packers can find other ways to win this football game because defensively they're going to stifle the Rams, I think, up front. And they also have a terrific running game this year with Aaron Jones being over 1,100 yards on 200 carries this year. So I, I like the Packers in this game, and I like them to cover, like I mentioned, but I think it does get really interesting if the uh, if the Rams are able to take away Devontae Adams. Saturday night, Ravens-Bills in Buffalo. Probably the most intriguing matchup um, so far in this postseason. Buffalo minus 2.5 to open it up, and we both talked about it. I, I think the Rams... Other than Kansas City, I think they're the biggest threat in the AFC. And right now, I'm leaning Baltimore, but I'm still struggling to make this pick, Chris. Yeah, this is the tough one. This is the tough one. Um, I uh, This is the game of the week, and it is going to be a defensive battle. Um, it's definitely the one I'm tuning into um, most excited for. Uh, although, I, although, you know, don't get me wrong, I think Breeze and, and Brady is, is very intriguing on Sunday night. And, I mean, we talked about uh, Cleveland and Kansas City. But give me uh, give me Baltimore here. I think they do it on the road. I think there's a little bit of vengeance from last year just because 
they were such a good team and they were too good to be knocked out where they were. They've already run through, to me, a very good Tennessee team. Um, so I think they stand a chance here. Um, on the road, yeah, there's less less people in the crowd, so maybe that helps. Uh, I think they find a way to do it. I, I think they win. I think it's very close. Give me uh, like 24-21 or nah, like 21-17 maybe. Yeah, I'm with, I think this is a low-scoring football game. Um, I lean the Ravens because I think their run game is going to be able – to control the pace and control the tempo of this football game. And I think if you knock the Bills out of rhythm, you have a chance to beat them, um, even on the road. And I think that's the biggest thing that Baltimore can do in this game is control the tempo and force Josh Allen to throw the ball a ton. And that's something that, listen, the Bills love to throw the football and they love to utilize Josh Allen. But um, if they keep him contained in the pocket, they're going to have a really good chance to win this football game. and I think they will be able to do that with their ability to rush the passer and their ability to maintain control in coverage. Um, I think Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters are the X factors in this game. And it's rare I say cornerbacks are X factors, um, even though I've said it two games in a row. But I think Jalen Ramsey is going to decide that Rams game for them. And I think in this game, um, if Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey can find a way to slow down Stephon Diggs and try to take away Josh Allen's top passing option, I think the Ravens are going to win this football game, and I think they're going to be able to do that. So I'm going to take the Ravens, like you said, in a low-scoring, close affair in Buffalo, and I think the Ravens get to the AFC Championship game. Sunday, continuing with our AFC discussion, Chiefs and Browns. Chris, I give my opinion on this game. I I think if there's a team other than Baltimore that can beat Kansas City, and this is in both conferences, I think it's the Browns just because of the way they play the game. I mean, defensively, they've been strong. Their pass rush has been great. Denzel Ward's health is obviously a concern, and we don't know if he's going to be back. But if the Browns can play smash-mouth football like they have this year, they are a threat to Kansas City, even on the road. So for that reason, I am going to take the Chiefs, I think. But I think that this 10-point spread is way too big for Cleveland right now because I think this is going to be a close game. I think it's going to be one that I think Cleveland leads late in this one, and Patrick Mahomes pulls off some magic late. Yeah, I think the 10-point spread is going to make the odds makers uh, seem a little foolish um, to underestimate a Browns team that has beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. Obviously a weathered team. Now, I agree with you. I think the Browns, they present the biggest threat on the ground out of anybody left in the playoffs, if you just look, um, with Chubb and Hunt. So in that sense, they're dangerous. But I don't know if Baker Mayfield is the big game quarterback that he needs to be to go beat Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he is not Tom Brady, one of the few guys who's been able to beat Kansas City in the playoffs. You cannot underestimate what a task it is to beat the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs. That's why the spread is as wide as it is. I know I'm saying something obvious here. But, yes, there's a lot of excitement about the Browns. They've got some momentum going. They definitely have some mojo. They... They have some energy from what they've been able to do and the story here. The story's great, right? Haven't been in the playoffs since 2002. I think Kansas City will, will you know, will sort of uh, humble them a little bit this weekend. I think it'll be close. But don't get me wrong. Browns will be back. Uh, this is a team that keep your eye out for. Um, and I think they'll play a good game, but I just, I cannot pick them. I picked them last week. I can't pick them again. It's impossible to pick against the Chiefs, and as much as I think the Browns will give them a tough game, I am with you. I'm taking Kansas City at Arrowhead. They are impossible to beat there, but like I said, I I think this is a much closer game than the spread indicates at the moment. Let's move to the nightcap. The battle of the 40-year-old quarterbacks, Brady against Breeze, Bucks against the Saints in the Dome, Saints three-point favorites. This is a 640 kickoff on Sunday. This is not a game we've talked about much on this podcast, but I think it's a really interesting one, especially given what happened in the regular season between these two teams. They played um, week one, Saints won at home in pretty convincing fashion, and then that Sunday night game in Tampa Bay was an ass-whooping. No other way to put it. The Saints were up 28-0 in the first half. They win that game in cruise control. This is a different Bucks team for me, though. I think they've figured out something offensively. They're utilizing all their weapons. And to me, the key is, can the Bucks run the football? Um, because offensively, they can control the line of scrimmage. And for the Bucks, 
Will Ronald Jones be able to be a factor in this game along with Leonard Fournette? That's a key for me because that opens up the play-action pass. That allows him to utilize Antonio Brown in different situations. That allows him to open up the deep ball to Mike Evans. I think the run game controls this one, but I think even as hard as it is to beat a team like Tampa Bay three times in a season, I'm leaning New Orleans on this one. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, that to me is the one I'm looking at, um, beating them three times. I mean, look, this is a battle of legacy quarterbacks, and the the bigger legacy here is Tom Brady, so he shows up with with that bit of uh, perhaps confidence on his shoulders. I mean, I, I, I just... Tom Brady in the playoffs, you saw it last week. I mean, he is in full form. There, There is... There's nothing stopping this guy. I mean, last year was the the one exception to it. Now, you could argue that he is in a better position than he's been with a lot of those Patriot teams that won. I mean, he took Patriot teams that won the Super Bowl that weren't loaded teams. I mean, I don't think any of those teams were loaded. I mean, I could be wrong on some of the early teams, um, but he, he did it without some of the weapons that he has now in Tampa Bay and that that was why it was so tantalizing um, when he went there it was like this is a loaded team Um, and they had some rough patches took them a little while to get it together but you said it they did get it together on offense they have a great head coach who I think um, deserves a Super Bowl I've been very high on Tampa Bay since the start here and I continue to be I think they find a way to beat this New Orleans team who obviously they ran into Chicago team that did not give them a true test. So I don't know if we can look at that game as real uh, meaningful evidence um, for why New Orleans might be ready. So I am going to have to ride with Tom Brady. And quite frankly, as somebody who spent so many years hating the guy, I'm actually rooting for the guy because it really makes Pats fans kick themselves in another type of way. And this, for a Bill Belichick uh, who never made a mistake in his entire probably life but certainly coaching career this uh is one that and and again i'm of the belief that this was driven by him um this is one he's going to regret because i think tom brady and again i may eat my words here because new orleans is new orleans but um i am picking the bucks i think tom brady continues to do it and, and i think they beat the saints I don't hate the pick at all. Um, I, I wasn't all that impressed with New Orleans last week. And offensively, I think they have major concerns right now. And it, it involves Drew Brees because yeah. this Saints team cannot throw the ball downfield with Drew Brees. It's as simple as that. And listen, they can find other ways to beat you. They're excellent through the intermediate passing game. I, I think one of the unsung heroes for them has been Jared Cook and his ability to play in the middle of the field um, as a tight end and really open things up for Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. But obviously you have Kamara. And you know what you're getting from New Orleans on defense. Um, My concern is, can this team score enough points? And that's a question I have been struggling with because Todd Bowles gets to see this team for a third time. And you got to think that Tampa Bay has a lot on their minds after the last time these two teams met. Um, And for that reason, while you were talking, I I think I've shifted my mind towards Tampa Bay and I want to take them. And I I just think that I'm going to be with you. I am going to take the Bucs here. And listen, I may regret picking against New Orleans at home, but I just don't buy them offensively right now. And I think Todd Bowles is going to design a scheme to really force New Orleans to try to make big plays in this game, which they haven't been able to do much of all year unless it's been through Alvin Kamara. And I think Bowles will be able to stack the box, control the run game with Kamara and Latavius Murray. And for that reason, I think I'm taking the Bucs. I'm going to take the Bucs to win and go to the NFC Championship game, and we're going to get the dream matchup of Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady in this NFC Championship game. But, Chris, before we wrap this up, either way, we're going to get a fun damn weekend of football. We really are. That's right. I think I, I think we are on the same page, actually, on all four picks, if, yep. I, if I cross-reference them. Um, this feels right to me. These picks feel right to me. I think if there's one that I feel vulnerable about, um, it's probably uh, it's probably the Baltimore pick. Honestly, I would I mean definitely the Brady pick is and, and the the Bucks pick can go either way. But we've we you know we're we're very high on Baltimore after what they did last week. But Buffalo is a really really good team. I mean I've doubted them way too much over the years. Um, so if there's one team that 
might go the other way on us. Uh, I do think it could be this Buffalo team. I think we acknowledge that this is a tough pick. It's one that's a two-point spread. But Buffalo is very good. Keep in mind, they were able to win with tough officiating last week, um, and there's some grit there. So I think Buffalo maybe stands a chance. But as you said, um, when all is said and done, uh, it is going to be exciting to sit back and watch these games this weekend. Certainly will be in divisional round coming up Saturday and Sunday. I'm excited to watch. I know Chris is excited to watch it, and we're excited to have you guys listen to this podcast every week. Glad you can join us once again. It's been another edition of NFL Friday from Chris Baccia. I'm Jackson Isle, our producer, Mike Wasita, NFL Friday. It's a production of WFUV Sports.